He is gaining in popularity, drawing some of the biggest crowds. More and more people are rallying to his side, and he he speaks his mind. He, He tells it like it is, and people love it. And there's opposition, and they have no clue how to stop him. And I am not talking about a man representing an elephant or a donkey. I am talking about a man who's riding into town on one. Do not confuse my Savior with a politician, not now nor ever. Today is Palm Sunday. Thousands were gathering that day to cast their vote, so to speak, for new leadership. Not for a billionaire, but for a homeless man. It wasn't an election, but the presentation of a king called the triumphal entry. Jesus rode that day into Jerusalem to the praise of countless thousands of people. What did it all mean? Why was it so important? Why do we celebrate it? Why do we come here today? What is the value? What are the lessons that we can learn from Palm Sunday? Turn in your Bibles to John chapter 12. John chapter 12 and verse 12 is where the story is recorded for us of Jesus riding into Jerusalem that day. Read along with me as I read John chapter 12, starting in verse 12. On the next day, the large crowd who had come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took the branches of the palm trees and went out to meet him and began to shout, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. Jesus, finding a young donkey, sat on it. As it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. These things his disciples did not understand at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written of him and that they had done these things to him. So the people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to testify about him. For this reason also the people went and met him because they had heard that he had performed this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are not doing any good. Look, the world has gone after him. The triumphal entry, what is it all about? The triumphal entry compels me to come to Jesus. That's the first thing I want you to see in this text. Come to Jesus. If people rally to their candidate, they travel great distances and they gather and they cheer and they they wave signs. And Don't get overly excited about sinful men running for a position of government. Get excited about a sinless savior who rode into town to rescue you. That's what you need to get excited about. That day... Jesus rode into Jerusalem with his sights on the cross. With his sights on saving you from your sin. With his sights on sacrificing his lifeblood to wash you clean. That is what this day is all about. Worship. Come to the Savior. Get excited about him. And you may be here and and, and come with your questions. You don't know him personally. Come with your curiosities. He already knows you who do not know him. 
And he is not intimidated by your questions. He is not intimidated by your concerns. He is not unnerved by your deepest problems. He is not unnerved by the vilest of your sins. He knows them and he says, come. He says, come to me. Rally to Jesus. No one is more important. No one is more powerful. I want you to understand when we come to Jesus, who we come to. He is the creator and sustainer of all. Listen to these words about the Lord Jesus. John 1, 3. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. That is Jesus, the creator of all. 1 Corinthians 8, Jesus Christ, by whom all things and we exist through him. He is the creator of all. Colossians 1, by by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. He is your creator. He is your sustainer. That's who we come to. He is rightful king over all. Daniel 7. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away. And his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. Revelation 17. Because he is Lord of lords and king of kings. And when he returns at his triumphal return. Revelation 19. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written. Say it with me. King of kings and Lord of lords. So he's the creator and sustainer of all. He is the king of all. He is the judge of all. John 5. For not even the father judges anyone, be that he's given all judgment to the son. Verse 27. He gave him authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man. Acts chapter 10. He is the one who has been appointed by God. Say it with me. As judge of the living and the dead. He is the creator and sustainer of all. He is the rightful king of all. He is the judge of all. He is the savior of all who would be saved. John 4. For we have heard for ourselves and know that this is the one indeed who is the savior of the world. 1 John 4.14. We have seen and testified that the father has sent the son to be the savior of the world. There is no one more important. There is only one who can save you. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Creator, sustainer, rightful king, judge, savior, who is he? Jesus is God of all. That's who we come to. He is no mere mortal. He is divinity. I want you to understand this. Wrapped and clothed in humanity. John 1. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And the word became what? Flesh, divinity, clothed in humanity. And dwelt among us and we saw his glory. Glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Colossians 1.15, say it with me. He is the image of the invisible God. Jesus is God. The large crowd make their way to Jesus. It says the next day, so a crowd had already gathered for the Passover celebration. And it's a large crowd. Most historians estimate that Jerusalem would swell three to four times its size during this two-week period. So if the city was 40,000, it would swell to 160,000. If it was 600,000, it would grow to 2.4 million 
I want you to think about that. Churches at Easter swell in size. Sometimes they double, triple, quadruple. I would love to see this church quadruple next week. Amen. Bringing the people in to hear the message of salvation, to worship our God together. By the way, big worship is beautiful worship. Don't you ever be afraid of big crowds gathering to worship God. Or you won't like heaven. But anyway, that's another thing. Huge crowd gathered for the Passover feast. Passover commemorating God's deliverance from Egyptian slavery. When the Israelites, the Hebrews, slaughtered the lamb and put the blood upon the door, the, the, the doorpost, the lintels. And, and, and he applied it to that door frame, and, and God passed over, sparing the firstborn. And the Hebrews believed, and the Hebrews applied the blood, and they, they, they were spared the loss of death. Little did they understand that the Passover lamb was riding into town. Little did they understand that his precious blood would be spilt, and that belief, application, would save them from eternal death. You, you need to understand this. You must believe on the Lamb of God. You must apply the blood, so to speak, to your life. And God will pass over. No judgment will come to you. Unless you receive Jesus Christ, judgment awaits you. There is only one way God will pass over you. And that is if you receive his son who died in your place. You must come to know Jesus as your Savior. They hear of Jesus. They go to Jesus. It says they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. Verse 13, they take these branches, palm trees, and they went out to meet him. And so the whispering has begun in the city of Jerusalem. People are talking. Someone has spotted Jesus. Are you sure? Yes. Where is he? He's on the road. He's heading this way. And the news is spreading and spreading. I want you to understand this. They had heard of Jesus. Jesus is he who speaks with commanding authority. They've heard of Jesus. He casts out legions of demons. They've heard of Jesus. He has multiplied loaves and fishes, feeding thousands with a kid's lunch. They've heard of Jesus. He has healed the blind and the deaf and the crippled. He's calmed the sea. He's walked on water. He calls forth the dead from the grave. He pardons prostitutes and drunkards and adulterers. He takes children in his arms and he blesses them. He touches lepers diseased in their affliction he's the homeless prophet so gentle he's the mighty messiah so powerful they have heard of jesus and they run and they walk and they go to jesus the excitement of the feast will now be eclipsed by the presence of the lamb of god they come to Jesus. You know what else the triumphal entry compels me to do? Worship Jesus. And that's why we're here today. To worship Jesus. Verse 13, they, they took the branches of the palm trees. They go out to him. They began to shout, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. If you are here for any other reason to worship the king, you've missed it. We gather to worship Jesus as God's people. That is why we gather, to worship our king. 
people all these political rallying points, praising their candidates, waving signs of support. He's the perfect son of God. He's not a politician. He's the savior of the world. He's not a candidate. They come with their actions of praise. What is this all about? Palm branches. Palm branches, historically speaking, were a symbol of nationalistic hope. That's what they were. The rededication of the temple. The Hebrews, the Israelites, waved palm branches. When they gained full independence, they waved palm branches. They they minted coins with palm branches on them. That's what they did. It was a symbol of victory, not just nationalistic hope. It was a way of saluting their conquering king. They expected Jesus to bring victory over the Romans. They, they, They failed to realize that his fight was not with Rome. His fight was for their souls. They failed to realize that this wasn't about freedom of oppression. This was about freedom from sin. That's why Jesus rode into Jerusalem that day. He had his eyes on the cross to free you from your sin. To save my soul and your soul. They verbalize their praise. It's not whispering. They verbalize their praise. It's it's not speaking loudly like you do in a restaurant when there's a lot of people or music or TVs blaring. And it's not just shouting one time. It's continually shouting. Here, say it with me. Ready? Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, leave that up there, and I'm going to have... Everybody stand. Everybody stand. Here we go. And I want you to yell this out. I'm going to start with this section. Then when I come over here, I'm going to start you. Then I'm going to go to the third section. Then I'm going to run over to the fourth section. And when I go like that, you say that word. Are you ready? Here we go. Hosanna. Wait a minute. That's supposed to be a shout. Are you ready? Here we go. Hosanna. 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 You may be saying. I I want you to understand what was going on that day, people. You can be seated. Think about this. They are shouting, they are yelling the praises of our God. And some of you people, when you sing, don't even sing. You just stand there. Do you understand who you are standing before? Do you understand whose house you gather in? Do you not understand the price your king paid for you? That you would dare come into his house and not sing his praise. Not shout his praise. Do you think he is not worthy of your praise? Do you think because you do not know a song you should not sing his praise? Shout out the praise of your God. He is worthy of your praise. He is so worthy. See, it's not about you. It's not about me or what you like or what I like. It is about our God who became a man who died for my sins and died for your sins 
he deserves our praise. Full-hearted praise. He paid the penalty for your soul, your sinful soul. They shouted, and then they shouted out. They shouted scripture, as Raleigh pointed out earlier. This is from Psalm 118.25. It's part of the Hallel. Psalm 113 through Psalm 118 would be sung every morning by the temple choir during some of the feasts. Hosanna means save now. Save us now. It, it, It means save, I pray. That's what it means. Blessed is he was the divine calling they saw on his life, the hand of God upon his life, the favor of God upon his life, who comes in the name of the Lord. He was God's representative, God's envoy, God's messenger, God's servant, the Messiah. Not only does he come in the name of the Lord, not only does he come in the name of God, he is God. Colossians 1.15, he is the image of the invisible God. Divinity clothed in humanity. Jesus would tell Philip in John 14, He who has seen me has seen the Father. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. I am God. Even the King of Israel, he is king and rightfully so. The royal blood of David runs through his veins. He is the Messiah. He's the anointed one. He is the Christ. And by the way, Jesus fully accepted their praise. Because Jesus is fully worthy of our praise. The triumphal entry compels compels me to come to Jesus and worship Jesus. The triumphal entry compels us to study Jesus. There's so many misinformed voters out there. They don't know candidates and what issues they stand for or stand against. And you hear biased media outlets and they take it as truth and they pass on misinformation that they believe is true and political opinions and they remain clueless and misinformed. That's why every election as a church, we provide voter guides to you. And we don't tell you who to vote for. We just tell you where the candidates stand. This is their record of what they have voted for. And we let their record speak for itself. You need to know Jesus. You need to know him. Not just know about him, not just know biased opinions of Jesus. You need to let his record speak for itself and you need to study the life of the Lord. You need to learn and you need to grow in your relationship with him and understand him. Read the scripture, study his life. And don't be misinformed. Learn of Jesus. Look at what we see here with fulfilled prophecy in verse 14. Jesus, finding a young donkey, sat on it. Why? As it is written. It's prophetic. Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming seated on a donkey's colt. These things his disciples did not understand at the first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were what? Written of him. And that they had done these things to him. This is prophetic fulfillment of Zechariah 9.9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with what? Salvation. Humble and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Jesus is the embodiment, the perfect, perfect prophetic embodiment. I mean, he fulfills 350 to 400 prophecies in scripture. In in the Passion Week alone, he fulfills 32 different prophecies 
found in Scripture. The prophetic fulfillment of the Lord, what does it do? It fortifies our faith in the Word of God and it deepens our adoration for the Son of God. When you really know Scripture, when you understand Scripture, and you see the prophecies fulfilled in Jesus, it deepens, it deepens your, your, your faith in the word of God and your adoration for the Son of God. He rides on a donkey. And you may say, well, you got to be kidding me. Why is he riding on a donkey? This isn't very dignified, not very impressive. Why a donkey? It means Jesus was a Democrat. No, that's not what it means. It means you're supposed to vote Democrat. No, that's not what, don't read into that. A donkey speaks of peace. A donkey speaks of gentleness, of humility. It, it speaks of meekness. This was a special king not coming to make war, but to bring peace. What kind of peace? Peace with God on your behalf. He came to make peace. And he would lay down his life for you so that you could have peace with God. Because we are enemies of God in our fallen sinful states. And only through Jesus can we have peace with God. The message he sends, fear not. Fear not. Christians like to say, you have nothing to fear. God is on his what? God's on his throne. I want you to turn to the person next to you and say, you have nothing to fear. Tell him that. You have nothing to fear. God's on his donkey. <laughs> Why? Because he's come to secure eternal life. He's come to pay the penalty for your sin. That's why we have nothing. We need not fear judgment. We need not fear death. You don't need to fear judgment for your sin. Jesus took the price. You don't need to fear judgment. You don't need to fear death. Eternal life has been secured because of Jesus. The king is coming. Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming. And by the way, he's coming again. And when he comes again, he's not coming on a gentle donkey. He's coming back on a war horse. Revelation 19. I saw heaven open and behold a white horse. And he who sat on it is called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and wages war. He's going to set this world straight finally. Are you ready for that? From his mouth comes a sharp sword so that he will strike down the nations. He will rule them with a rod of iron. It will be a benevolent dictatorship like never seen before. He who treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written. King of kings and Lord of lords. Your king is coming back. It's only a matter of time. Learn of Jesus and fulfilled prophecy. But don't miss the big picture here. The disciples missed it. They, they didn't understand in verse 16. And they didn't, they didn't understand until they remembered that these things were written. It never registered with them. They, they were living with Jesus day in and day out for three years. He had told them what was going to take place. They were sitting under his direct teaching for three years. This teaches us such an important lesson. Listen carefully. Just because you're close to Jesus doesn't mean you always understand the plans of Jesus. Just because you're close to Jesus doesn't always understand, doesn't always mean you understand the plans of Jesus. This, this, there's some steak that's hard to chew and digest. There are some, there's some spiritual meat that's hard to understand and comprehend. And, and there's things in our life at times that are hard to comprehend. And, and, and we're no different than those disciples. Things go right over our head and we get frustrated and we act emotionally and based on our feelings instead of the facts of God's word. 
How many times do we get scared and we get nervous and we're frustrated and all of a sudden our emotions well up and we're all flustered and fearful and anxious. And we got to go back to the word of God, to the facts of the word of God, and let God's word speak truth to us and calm our hearts down and straighten our thinking out. That's what had to happen with them when they finally remembered the things that were written about him. There are times in our life when we must learn to wait and we must learn to trust and when we must remember that he gives and he takes away, blessed be what? The name of the Lord. That it is God who causes all things to work together for good to those who love him, to those who are called according to his purpose. For the disciples, the death of Jesus would finally make sense, but it was the light of the glorification the light of the glorification that would shine in the darkness of their pain and suffering. And some pain and some suffering will never make sense this side of glory. It will never make sense this side of heaven, but it will make sense. The triumphal entry compels us to come to Jesus and worship Jesus and study Jesus, verse 17 and 18, to testify for Jesus. The people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb. So these people are among the crowd and raised him from the dead, continued to testify about him. For this reason also people went and met him because they had heard that he had performed this sign. Everybody today is endorsing someone for president. Political signs are everywhere. This is my favorite one, just to let you know. I'm so tired of them spelling my name wrong. It is one L, people. One. You don't like any of the candidates out there? I saw this picture. I loved it. I'm going with pine straw. See it back there? Oh, man. If you're willing to speak up for a political candidate, would you please be willing to speak up for Jesus? You're willing to share with people on social media or in conversation or work? Will you please do that for the King of Kings and Lord of Lords? Will you start taking a stand for the only one that really counts? Jesus. People are speaking up. Who's speaking up? Those who were with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb. People who heard Jesus say these words in John 11. Remove the stone. People who heard Jesus say these words, Lazarus, come forth. Three little words followed by three little words. Power and authority to call the dead back to life. That is who our Savior is. People who witnessed this man come out of the tomb. In John eleven forty four, the man who had died came forth bound, hand and foot with wrappings. His face was wrapped around with a cloth. And Jesus said, unbind him and let him go. Words of freedom for a man wrapped in burial cloths. Boy, don't stop telling. Don't stop speaking. Don't stop sharing what Jesus had done on behalf of others. And don't stop telling what Jesus has done on behalf of you. Don't stop talking. I want you to understand, he raised the dead. He called forth the dead. He spoke life into the dead. Jesus is still raising the dead today. He is still raising the dead today. I was dead in my sins and he rose me up. I was dead in my transgressions and he saved my soul. You were dead in your sin. You had no hope in this world. You were for good as dead is what you were. 
That's what I was. I was studying this morning and just overwhelmed with praise how God has changed my life. So lost, so confused, so sinful. And God raised me up from the dead. That's what he's done for you too, you who know him. Read with me Colossians 2. When you were dead in your transgressions, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions. Every single sin you've ever committed was washed away when he died on the cross. Every single one. Ephesians 2. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air of the spirit that's now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them too, we all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature what? Children of wrath. The judgment of God hung over our heads, even as the rest. But God, love those two little words, don't you? But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were what? Dead in our transgressions. Made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places. I was dead and I am alive. And God is still doing that today. He is calling forth the dead and giving them life. And some of you need to come to life today. You are dead in your sins. You you carry the shame and the guilt and all of that baggage that comes with your sin. God can set you free. He can give you life. He alone can call forth the dead to life. Let him save your soul. And you who have been raised to life, share the good news with others that God is still giving life to the dead. Listen carefully. When we talk of Jesus, people come to Jesus. Say it with me. When we talk of Jesus, people come to Jesus. Look at verse 18. For this reason also, the people went and met him. Why? Because they had heard that he had performed this sign. When we talk of Jesus, people come to Jesus. They're not going to come to Jesus unless you start talking. Start talking at work. Start talking to your neighbors. Start talking to your classmates. Start talking to your relatives. Start talking. People desperately need the God who raises the dead. They're desperate for his help, desperate for his love and mercy. Yes, some that day were simply curious, but others would have their lives changed forever. Next week is Easter. Some will come simply because it's a religious day. They're curious. But others will have their lives changed forever. Start talking about Jesus and start inviting people to services. Reach out to people at Easter and don't worry about endorsing a candidate. Start sharing Jesus. We got three services next week, 8 o'clock, 9.30, and 11, special times. By the way, we're going to give you a continental breakfast if you get out of bed early and come to the first service. Yes, it's a bribe. Come early, okay? Get out of bed and come get continental breakfast, all right? And, and, And just come and bring people. 
We have Easter cards. On the way out the door, we're going to hand you cards. They're packaged in five, rubber banded together. Grab them. If you have a business, go to the ministry information center and grab a stack of them. Put them out. We have, we have, a, we have a text image you can share. You, you can go to our website or Facebook page. Grab that. Text it to a friend. Hey, come to my church. Put this on your Facebook, your Instagram account, whatever you have, social media. Grab that off our website. Grab it off our Facebook page. Share that with people, that image. We, we have signs. You, you've seen them, you know. Grab a sign. Put it out there. That's the one in my yard. Listen, you may say, well, nobody's going to come to church because of a sign. Last year, Rhiannon Delberto, this is her right here. She saw a sign in this lady's yard, Kelly LaMonica. Rihanna was picking up an item she bought at Kelly's Facebook garage sale. She pulled up and in the middle of Kelly's yard was a harvest Easter sign last year. She got home and she messaged Kelly and asked her some questions about harvest. This is what Rhiannon says. I would have never asked if that sign had not been there. Kelly encouraged her to come back to church and answer some questions. One year later, Rhiannon is a part of our church now. They're here. Amen. Isn't that great? Because of an Easter sign. The providence and sovereignty of God using a sign. I want you to think about that. Her family have become friends with Kelly's family. Their children are now friends. Her kids are now in Awana. This is what she wrote. That sign was more than just an announcement on a lawn. It was a brick from God saying, I need you to come back to me. I thank God every day for that sign on her lawn because it really has been life-changing. She continues, I just felt really compelled to share with everyone that a little sign on your front yard may mean the difference in someone's life. Do you know how many people have drifted away from God and they're not in church any longer? Invite them back. You know, people are not in a good church. They're in a church that doesn't preach the word of God. You know what? I have no problem stealing sheep from bad churches. Amen. If, if they're in a church that doesn't preach the word of God, we have a church that does and teach it and their children, bring them in. I have no problem with that, friends. Uh, unbelievers are in need of the Savior. Go after them. Invite them to church. Testify. Come to Jesus, worship Jesus, study Jesus, testify of Jesus. The triumphal entry finally teaches me to side with Jesus. Look at verse 19. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you're not doing any good. Look, the world has gone after him. Come November, you're going to have a decision to make. Who are you going to vote for? Who are you going to side with? Who are you going to side against? I just want to let you know that those who refuse to side with Jesus will lose to Jesus. Those who refuse to side with Jesus will always lose to Jesus. They will lose in this life. They will lose for eternity. There is so much at stake. Jesus is going to win. Jesus is coming back. He's going to rule and reign. And it won't be for four or eight years, friends. It's going to be a long time. <laughs> side with Jesus. The Pharisees were in the wrong party against the wrong person. They were the religious party. They dressed really religiously. They looked good. They were educated religiously. They knew a lot of stuff. They acted religiously. They talked religiously. They were in charge of everything religious. That was, those were the Pharisees. Listen carefully. Sometimes the most re religious people are the least spiritual people. Don't ever forget that. Sometimes the most religious people are the least spiritual people. Don't let that be you. 
don't let that be me. The Pharisees, they're, they're besides themselves. You see, you're not doing any good. They're talking among themselves, and we get to listen in on their chatter. They're befuddled. They're so frustrated, and they're blaming each other. And, and, and Passover was their show. This was their show. I, I mean, and they're losing influence, and they're losing authority, and they're losing face, being humiliated. They're losing money from people. Just wait till Jesus starts overturning tables. Woo-hoo. They're being upstaged by some wannabe teacher from Galilee. Who is homeless, uneducated, poorly dressed, blue-collar carpenter. Followed by a ragtag group of fishermen and tax collector and some zealot. Only guy, they kind of like some guy named Judas. But other than that. And nothing they seem to do works. He's gaining in popularity no matter how much they slander him. And no matter how much they accuse him falsely. And they're throwing up their hands in frustration. The world has gone after him. Listen carefully. Be a part of the world that goes after Jesus. Be a part of the world that goes after Jesus. John 12, 32. And if I, I be lifted up from the earth, will draw who? All men to myself. He is drawing men and women and boys and girls to himself from all over this world. Every nationality, every language, every color, every background. Be a part of the world that Jesus is drawing to himself. What does the triumphal entry compel us to do? Say it with me. Come to Jesus. Worship Jesus. Study Jesus. Testify for Jesus. And side with Jesus. Let's pray. Take a moment, you who are followers of the Lord. He is your King of kings and Lord of lords. And worship him. Thank him for raising you from the dead. Thank him for riding into Jerusalem that day, staring at that cross before him. Thank him for laying down his life. Praise him right now. Intercede and ask God to use you to reach dozens of people for him. Even this week. Pray for our church. Pray for these Easter services. Pray for souls to be saved. Pray for prodigals to return. Ask God to give you a boldness to reach out like you've never reached out before. You may be here this morning and you have never come to faith in Jesus Christ. You carry the weight of sin and shame and guilt. Jesus is more than a prophet or a good moral teacher. He is God who calls forth the dead to life. He can give you life right now. Let him save you from your sins. And you may say, Scott, what do I do? Call out to him in faith right now. Repent, turn from your sin and turn to the Savior. In the quietness of your heart, call out to him, Lord God, save me. Forgive me. 
I repent of my sin. Tell him that. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for loving me that much. Lord, I believe in you. I place my faith in you, not my good deeds. I trust in you and you alone. Forgive me, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.